word. And they were bringing children to him, that is to Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is why we read in God's holy word. A professor gave his students the question that was going to be on the test. The exact question. In advance of the test. Not only that, the professor gave the students the right answer to that question. The professor told the students how he wanted the question answered on the test. This was the legitimate way the professor decided to teach and to test. Wouldn't you know it, some of the students still got the answer wrong on the test. In verse 13, we find the disciples getting it wrong. How could the rabbi have prepared them more thoroughly than he has prepared them for this moment? Yet his students got it wrong. Here we find the disciples rebuking young parents for bringing young children to Jesus. The disciples have already forgotten the recent lesson from Mark chapter 9 in which Jesus taught his disciples how to be great by dying to self, verses 30 to 32 of chapter 9, serving others, verses 33 to 35 of chapter 9, and by caring for little people, verses 36 and 37. In fact, if you remember, you could look back at chapter 9, verse 36, the teaching illustration of Jesus was to put a child in the middle of the disciples, hug the child, and then say to his disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Just a little while later in today's passage, the disciples failed the test of what the kingdom is like from their rabbi. When the disciples rebuked families, any child could have objected to those disciples and said, hey, don't you remember? Jesus taught you about this. And then that child could say the theme of our sermon. The king belongs to me because he was given to me as a gift. So we'll unpack this truth in three areas. Access to Jesus as a gift, bringing people to him as a service. Secondly, blocking people from Jesus as a serious sin that incurs his wrath. And three, my king gave himself for me and to me, so I get all his blessings too. So first, access to Jesus being a gift. What was happening here in verse 13 was dads and moms, perhaps some other relatives, but given how young these children were, certainly the parents were nearby, bringing children to Jesus. Why? That Jesus might touch them, we read in verse 13. It's not a touch for healing. You've heard a lot about healing in the Gospel of Mark so far, but these children are not reported to be sick. It's not a touch for healing. And we read, if we borrow over from the other Gospel of Matthew, we read this, that Jesus might lay his hands on the children and pray. Every parent wants the blessing of God on their new baby. If you're a Baptist, you dedicate babies. If you're a good Presbyterian, you have them baptized. But all of God's children, uh, all of children, around the world, whatever their religion, want God's blessing on their baby. So it doesn't surprise us these parents were bringing children to Jesus. They recognized grace in Jesus, in his ministry. They heard about it or saw it for themselves. And 
They trusted him. What surprises us is not that in verse 13. What surprises us in verse 13 is how the disciples of Jesus had an opportunity to receive children and instead of receiving the children, purposefully rejected them and their families. The disciples saw it as their job to restrict access to Jesus. Isn't this another replay of their previous mistake? If you look at Mark 9, verse 38, which was right after Jesus taught them about receiving children in his name, you know, that I just reviewed, verses 36 and 37. Then we read in verse 38 of Mark 9, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Mark 9, 38. What about the poor people who were demon-possessed? The disciples showed no concern for them. They only cared about their exclusive power to be the only ones casting out demons and didn't want to share that with others. So that's like a replay of what we see tonight in our passage. What about the children? You're rebuking the parents for bringing the children and you're sending them away. There's no thought of the children or concern for them in the disciples' minds. Again, a replay didn't care about the demons-possessed people earlier, now don't care about the children. What the disciples care about is themselves. Jesus cared about the children because he came to give the children access to himself. He saw that the parents were serving their children by bringing the children to Jesus. The problem was not the parents. The problem was not the children, of course. The problem was not Jesus, that he was maybe too busy or unavailable. No, no. The problem was the disciples, and specifically, the problem was the disciples not learning what the kingdom is like because they hadn't learned what the king is like, the king of that kingdom. They didn't understand Jesus, their rabbi. They didn't understand who the king was here to serve in the first place. Access to Jesus is a gift. Bringing people to Jesus is a service. We move on to our second point. They were effectively blocking people from Jesus, which is a serious sin that incurs his wrath. Our second point, verse 13b. By b, I mean the second half of the verse. The object of a person's anger reveals the person. If I love my car and you mess up my car, I will be angry, right? It shows you that I love my car. The object of a person's anger reveals the person. The fact that Jesus got angry causes us to wonder and question what is it that he loves. He got angry at his disciples and it shows his love for the children. The love of Jesus extends beyond children. So the lesson, of course, here is that the kingdom is not just for children. It's for people who are helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. The word indignant is used to describe the response of Jesus toward his own disciples indignant. That's a strong word even in English. Here in the original, it's a very strong verb. He was very angry at his own disciples. Does that surprise you? Shouldn't Jesus be patient with his own disciples and reserve that kind of indignant anger for the Pharisees? But that is the point. The disciples had become like the Pharisees. The disciples were misrepresenting the very character of God and his kingdom. They were communicating to families that this is what Jesus is like. He has no time for children or little people. The message could not be more wrong. 
the results could not be more damaging. No wonder the master was deeply moved by what he saw. The disciples viewed their own action as exercising their authority by rebuking the families, sending the children away. But Jesus viewed the actions of the disciples as a complete distortion of the kingdom of God. To deal with the situation, Jesus then makes two clear statements about the beauty of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom, to counteract the distortion caused by the actions of the disciples. Verse 14 contains the first statement of Jesus about the beauty of the kingdom, and here it is. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 14. So here, in this statement, Jesus corrected the bad situation by correcting his disciples' beliefs. In this statement, Jesus communicated the opposite of what the disciples had communicated by their actions to the children and their families. The disciples wanted the children to go away and be kept away from Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus urged the children to be brought to himself. It's a complete reversal. It's diametrically opposed what the disciples were communicating and believing and what Jesus was communicating and believing. He was correcting this 180 degrees. Shall the children leave or stay? The statement of Jesus is the antithesis of the beliefs of his own disciples. This statement does not say that the characteristics of children have a spiritual parallel and the statement does not say that if the spiritual parallel is present in your life, then the kingdom of God belongs to you. No. That's what Jesus will say next in his second statement in verse 15. But here, in verse 14, that is not what Jesus said. Rather, here in verse 14, Jesus made a statement that's logically prior to the statement he will make in verse 15. And in verse 14, Jesus is making a statement with a more radical significance. He says it first, therefore. Regarding the kingdom, Jesus was saying basically this, I am the king. That's what he's saying in in verse 14, if you read it. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He's saying, I'm the king, first of all. Who should know better about the values of the kingdom of God than me, the king? Who should know better about who's to be admitted, who's to be rejected, than me, the king? And he would later say in this same chapter, Mark 10, 45, the central verse of the whole book, that his purpose in coming is not to be served, not to be that sort of king, but to serve, to be that sort of king. But here in verse 14, the king declared which people he came to serve. Who better would know than he? Do not hinder them. He declares he came to serve little people. Yes, including the children. He declared that he therefore came in order to work on behalf of the children and the little people. Do not hinder them, he says. The kingdom of God, listen to this, the kingdom of God belongs to these children and all sorts of insignificant people who are similar to these children. 
And since the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, then it follows logically that the king of that kingdom belongs to such as these. All that logic is packed into this beautiful, short reminder about the nature of the kingdom. To put it succinctly, Jesus is saying, I belong to these children. I belong to them. How dare you, as disciples, prevent kingdom children from access to me when I belong to them? That's what he's saying. That's the prior statement. That's the foundational truth he had to put out first to correct their thinking before he then goes on to teach further in verse 15, which brings us to our third point. My king gave himself for me and to me, so I get all his blessings too. Verse 15 contains his second statement now, Jesus made about the beauty of the kingdom. Quote, truly I say to you, and whenever Jesus has that intro, truly I say to you, it's of a special significance. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Here's where Jesus broadened out his lesson beyond children to non-children who must have characteristics of children. What are the characteristics of children? Specifically with regard to receiving a gift. How does a child receive a gift? As a gift, no questions. Compare that to how does an adult receive a gift? Oh, you shouldn't have. I didn't get you anything. Can I pay for this? Really, please let me pay for this. I'll have to keep an eye out for something for you. What would you like? That's how an adult responds to a gift. How does a child respond to a gift? Cool. Thank you. I'll take it. And they walk off. Adults are always trying to earn and pay and equalize and participate differently than simply receiving. Children understand gifts are gifts. Unmerited gifts are okay with children because their whole world is unmerited gifts. They never have anything with which to pay for anything. They never have merits to offer. They can't pay you back. They don't even pause to consider how they might begin to pay you back. They just take it. Exactly. Listen to his beautiful then conclusion to this passage. Verse 16, Jesus took the children in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. If we don't receive the kingdom that way, he said, a child's way, we'll never have part in the kingdom. And then he turns and blesses the young ones. What did those children do to earn that beautiful privilege of Jesus himself literally picking them up and loving on them? What did they do to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing. They just took it. They ate it up. They were dependent. It's how children approach life. It's how children approach Jesus. It's how children approach the kingdom. And that is how believers need to approach the kingdom and Jesus and life in the kingdom. As you broaden out and consider what we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark, what groups of people have failed to approach the kingdom this way? The religious leaders, the family, the crowds, 
even the disciples. Who's left? Who did well? Who approached the kingdom the right way? Well, we have sick people, helplessly needing to be healed by Jesus, who burst through into the realm of self-abandonment and trust that's needed. Sick people. That's, that's all we have so far. But now we've stumbled on a second group, small children. We have sick people who approach Jesus correctly and small children who approach Jesus correctly. The sick and the children have understood how to enter the kingdom of God. In the book of Mark, the sick have received healing from Jesus' touch and the children have received blessing from Jesus' touch. The two groups that get it, the two groups that know how to approach the kingdom of God. We have this truth trickle down through church history and be celebrated in various ways. In the classic hymn, Rock of Ages, we love to sing this truth, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. It's repeated also over in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3 and 4. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Let me try to illustrate. This is so important. Imagine a city street. A windowsill of a house. Maybe a European house 150 years ago. Windowsill of a house, outdoor, facing the street. The owner of the house piles up gold pieces on the windowsill for passers-by to receive as a gift. He puts a sign out there in front of his house, right behind the gold pieces, but so that you can read it clearly as you walk by. The sign reads, take one indicating the generosity, but also a limit. Please take one, right? Take one, take one, take one, take one. All day long, city people drive, drive, not drive, but walk by. They go past this house and they see the sign. The sign says, take one. They see a pile of gold pieces and, and they think things that adults think. You know, skeptical adults, they think, ha, nothing's free and walk on. Next one comes, what's the catch? And walks on. This is some sort of scam. Walk on. Next one comes. This fellow can't fool me. Walk on. No one took a gold piece all day long. Not a single person. They all thought it was a trap. Too good to be true. We would end up paying for it. We'd be accused of theft. No one gives out gifts that extravagantly just for the sake of giving. Evening came. The owner of the house steps out into the street to collect his gold pieces and take down his sign for the night. But just before he did, he noticed a child who was just coming by and seeing the gold, approaching and read the sign. And calmly, without least hesitation, the child took a gold piece and walked away with one gold piece, a big smile and a big skip in his step. That is an attempt to illustrate how to receive the kingdom. We're supposed to receive the gift of the kingdom of God like a child receives a gift, an extravagant gift. We're supposed to say to ourselves with a smile, my king gave himself for me and to me and I get all his blessings besides. Score! (laughs) Good for me! This is how we're supposed to respond to the kingdom of 
God being given to us. How does a child receive a gift? Simplicity. With simplicity. With unassuming humility. The child can receive a gift as the gift is intended. It's how we're to receive the kingdom. It's how we're to receive the king himself. Jesus says, I'm your king. And we say, great, thank you. Oh, and Jesus, you belong to me now. <laughs> That's how a child thinks. The moment you give me something that belongs to me, if you give me Jesus, Jesus belongs to me now. That kind of confidence, that kind of ownership, immediacy, simplicity. A child is entirely trusting. Complete trust is the very center of that child's outlook and existence. Complete trust in the world around. So must it be for us. A child can't earn his place in his home. Neither can we earn our place in the kingdom. A child can't produce or force or make his place in this world. Neither can we in the kingdom. So in our passage, we are shown, if you just look at the, the image of what we're presented with in our passage, we have the picture of a man holding a baby, don't we? A man holding a baby. Now take that picture, a man holding a baby, and rewind 30 years. Take Jesus now not as the one who's the man, but Jesus as the baby. There's a man holding him. A man with Simeon. Luke 2, 28 says that as a little child, Jesus came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took the boy Jesus up in Simeon's arms. A man holding a baby, and the baby was Jesus. Now, Fast forward back 30 years to where we are in our story. Gospel of Mark, the time of our study, Jesus is now the man holding a different child in his arms. Now, let's remember why Jesus came in the first place. Why did he come to earth and be the fulfillment for Simeon that he might hold redemption in his arms? Why did he come? to become a man eventually, 30 years later. What's the mission of Jesus to come at all? The kingdom of God, what's it about? That's what's at stake. That's why he has indignant reaction. That's the love. It's, it's touching on mission. It's touching on the whole purpose. And so we get that in our chapter. In Mark 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve us. He came to give to us himself. He came to give to us everything. Everything's a gift. The kingdom of God is ours by grace, never earned by qualifications or by our actions. Christ gives the kingdom as he chooses. He gives kingdom access to these children in the story who are brought in faith by their parents And through them, we see how he gives access to others like them, like us. This serving of Jesus, of course, points us to the cross of Christ itself. Paul could say in Romans 5, 2, Through Christ we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 2. So we rejoice 
We say, great. We put a skip in our step and we take the gift that's given. How did Jesus serve us? How did he give us access to this kingdom? Think of those hands. Follow those hands. Track those hands. The hands that held the child. The hands that blessed the child. Follow the hands. Where did the hands go next? He who came to serve took those hands and allowed them to be nailed to the cross, didn't he? The same hands that blessed the children were the hands that were pierced. In order for Jesus to receive those children that day and to pray the prayers and offer the blessings on those children that day, he had committed himself already to go to that cross and allow those same hands to be nailed there in order to bring kingdom blessings to those children. They had no clue the immensity of the gift that that loving man was giving them in that tender moment, did they? The king belongs to me. They would shout if only they knew. Concluding applications. Number one, rejoice like a kid that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace and it's given to you. He even gives us faith. Ephesians 2.8, uh, faith is the gift of God. The children in our passage were small enough and young enough that Jesus could take them up in his arms. He is a carpenter and probably strong enough to lift a teenager, but it's younger than that. It's up in his arms, you understand, right? It's young children as he, as he hugged them. What a delightful picture. Pause there, right? What a pleasing image for us to consider of our Savior taking very young children, picking them up, hugging them, blessing them. It would have to be one by one, wouldn't it? Maybe two. One after the other. What an impressive, what a comforting, what a memorable scene. No wonder we find this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Each have recorded this incident, these statements too of our Savior. It's an inviting expression regarding the nature of the kingdom of God. Children are a part Children are a part of the church. Children belong here. Children belong to Jesus. Think of those families in this wonderful scene, the exact families. Fast forward now a few years by, with them. After Jesus died, after Jesus rose again, after Jesus made appearances and ascended to heaven, we don't know their in exact involvement. But you could fast forward long enough that they would have heard about it, okay? The same children, the same parents, now the children are growing older. What could the parents then say to the, those exact children about spiritual things? What could they say to them about the nature of the kingdom of God? The parents could say to them, when you, when you, my child, were younger, just a very little child, the Lord Jesus Christ himself picked you up. I was there, I saw it. He picked you up, live in person. He put his hands on you. And he prayed a blessing on you from God the Father. Already then, my child, you were the recipient of God's tender love. And ever since, God has been with you and he'll never leave you and never forsake you. The king himself who once held you, holds you still. And he belongs to you and you to him. That's what they could say. Isn't that what we can say? Isn't that the covenant? Isn't that the blessing? Isn't that the nature of the kingdom and the nature of the church? That's what we're here for. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a great high priest. We have something called the throne of grace. 
We have mercy to help us whenever. We have grace in time of need. We ought to receive these things like a kid. Cool. Thanks. I have Jesus, and so I have all his blessings too. 2 Peter 1.11, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Rejoice like a kid. Number two, the king belongs to me means that his love for children becomes our love for children. And since Jesus is willing to confront his own disciples, we believe that Jesus would confront anyone when it came to protecting and welcoming children, his children, the kingdom children. We have a responsibility to see the kingdom as the king does, which means seeing children as the king sees them. We join our king in developing love and passion for children because we love children. We will do everything necessary to protect them. We get angry enough to take actions when children are threatened. And the love of Jesus is what leads to the indignation of Jesus. And the love of Christians is what leads to the indignation of Christians. We imitate our Savior and develop proper actions to protect his precious ones. The king belongs to me means his love for children becomes our love for children. And a third and last application, the king belongs to me means that he loves me enough to correct me. Look at verse 14. This is a correction. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. He spoke that to whom? To his own disciples. That statement was a passionate correction of his disciples who were sending children away from him. Jesus loved the disciples By correcting the disciples. That's the action in our passage. Correction. Love in the form of correction. The fact that King Jesus belongs to you means that Jesus loves you enough to correct you. Put this in your mind and let it run around and run around and never leave. Being corrected is a blessing. Being corrected is a blessing. Being corrected is a blessing. It's love. It doesn't mean it's pleasant. When we are doing wrong, we need correction. Jesus did this for his disciples when needed. There was an earlier example, Mark 9, 39. He corrected his disciples saying, do not stop the man casting out demons. (laughs) They needed correction on that one, so he corrected them. Here again in chapter 10, he corrects his disciples. Do not prevent children from coming to Jesus. Jesus makes sure that we have access to him. He protects our ability to come to him. Who can enter the kingdom of God? Only if you're like a child in certain important ways. Not everyone can enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God belongs to persons who approach Jesus like a child. Humble people who approach Jesus asking for the gift of access to him and receiving it as is a gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven.